Hey everybody, Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you. Hope everybody is having <clears throat> a great day. It's been kind of uh, busy for me. Um, for those who are unaware, uh, I had uh, my 54th birthday on yesterday and the wife spent the weekend uh, making me feel loved. The kids uh, participated to a certain extent, grandkids. Um, so it was definitely a busy weekend. So I normally am during the weekend, I'm actually working to uh, a certain extent. I'm, uh, I'm setting, especially on Sunday, I'm setting up what happens uh, at least the first day of the week so that I can move into it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do that. So I had some catching up to do this morning. And so I've been kind of busy, but um, this didn't get past me, um, whether you've heard it or not, um, whether you've heard it or not, um, Lil Nas X uh, is consistently pushing the envelope and subsequently pushing buttons. Uh, he went from being, you know, a kid favorite to um shooting a video with him uh twerking on the devil seven selling some shoes that supposedly had a drop of real blood in it getting sued by nike for that um and now the latest i hear uh and i definitely won't be watching it but the latest i hear is he has did a video uh inside of a prison somewhere uh with him and other black men uh, naked twerking. And obviously it's triggered some people. Um, obviously uh, a lot of people are weighing in on it. And I wanted to kind of unpack it for what it really is. Uh, Cause uh, I'm hearing a lot of narratives. And so I'm looking at it from where I'm, I'm sitting and I'm seeing a, an agenda play out. What, what we have to first mention, uh, just in case uh, you didn't get it, look, uh, uh, as always, we're asking you to support the work we do at the Odyssey Project and all the other associated programs uh, that are aimed at the Black community. Uh, I've shared it in the chat box. Uh, it's in the description box of the video. Uh, so feel free to show some love and support. Uh, with that being said, uh, for those of you who are wishing me happy, uh, uh, happy birthday, uh, uh, belated birthday, whatever. Um, most definitely it is appreciated. Um, and thank you. Um, the first thing that we have to uh, be aware of, you know, one of the things that I focus on a lot, things that, that I talk about a lot is the fact that <clears throat> we, we suffer a lot because we don't know how things work. We don't understand the dynamics at play. We normally end up responding totally out of a place of emotion and frustration and we don't get the bigger picture and so we don't have a strategic response we only have an emotional response so we spend a lot of time emoting uh what i want to get us to is a place where we are responding from a place of protocol in other words when xyz when you have protocols in place 
when XYZ happens and there are protocols in place, you don't even have to think about what the response is. The protocols dictate it. The protocols have been inculcated into your psyche at a level that you automatically know the response. When you look at other groups, regardless of the groups are, uh, especially the more organized groups, whites, Asians, Jews, they have protocols. They literally have pro protocols that address almost any instance you can think of. And so when it happens, they just respond. That's why when something is done to a Jew, immediately the response is immediate and it's across the board. Why? Because it's a part of a protocol. It's a part of a natural response to a specific issue that doesn't require you to think it out because it's already been thought out. There have been, there are uh, literally, when it comes to the perpetuation of white supremacy in economic, uh, economic elitism for whites and Europeans, there are over 1,300 think tanks in play at all times, thinking out every scenario of how to keep the power in the hands of the people who hold it, keep the money in the hands of the people who hold it, and to keep those who may be pursuing it at bay. That's 1,300. The black community has maybe three uh, that can be taken seriously. Uh, we need more than just simple group thought. We need group action. Group think means nothing if group think doesn't point you towards group action that serves the betterment of the entire group. So when I see something like this, I get I, I never approach it from an emotional standpoint. I, I'm aware of it. And my first responsibility is to understand it's my responsibility to keep this kind of crap out of the uh, gates of my my babies. And that's anybody that's still under my care all the way up to the age of whenever they leave the house. I am, it's my responsibility to guard the gate. It's my responsibility to say, okay, what is, what's on your devices? What do you listen to tomorrow? That's my responsibility. Uh, we've, we're, in a, we're in a society now where we're allowing devices and mechanisms to rear our kids, to fill in for times and places and things that we should be doing. We should be teaching, we should be shaping, we should be molding, we should be establishing and building and setting the standards at which our kids operate. Our kids have way too much freedom. They have way too much uh, access to things that do not serve them or the community well. And we've got to do a better job. That's the first thing and foremost before we ever get off into the end, the agendas. But the one thing that I want you to understand when we talk about the importance of knowing how things work is that everyone, absolutely everyone, no matter what, no matter where, has an agenda. The problem is our agenda isn't focused. Our agenda doesn't have strategic, strategic longevity. Uh, it cannot be projected out beyond the moment because we haven't taken time to think it. We haven't taken time to prepare it. We haven't taken time to push things out and get them set up. And so what does that lead to? That leads to a lot of times that we get hit with stuff and we don't know how to respond to it. So we react. And when we react, we don't get any true uh, push on it. We just simply sit up and show that we're frustrated and powerless. That's all a temper tantrum is. And that's what it, uh, it, it, it relates to. When you show up and you're protesting something, but you have no power behind the protest. You have no exact leverage behind the protest. There's no specific action you're gonna take that's gonna actually count for anything. You don't have any ability to bring any pain to anybody you're upset with. Then that that reflects to, it, I don't care how many people are doing it. I don't care how many people show up to the protest. I don't care how many people sign the petition. If you don't have any economic force to move behind that, where you can take an action that other people will feel, then all you have is a collective temper tantrum. 
You've got together and throw a temper together. Everybody's mad. Everybody knows you're mad, but nobody cares. Why? Because you can't bring any pain to the game. You can't make your presence felt. So the first thing you have to understand is everybody has an agenda. We need a clearer agenda. We need clearer protocols. We need to have a clear understanding of how we're going to execute our economic power. We talk about spending power all the time. And while that spending power narrative is heavily diluted and misinterpreted, we still do have spending power. Our dollars are taken for granted. Why? Because we don't manage them. We don't direct them. We don't focus them. We don't bring them into a collective focus to where we can use them in a powerful manner. Now, with all that being said, and we understand everybody has an agenda, there's an agenda at play. Now, the first thing that I heard that I will weigh in on is that it's an agenda by the LGBTQ community. I don't think so. I don't think the LGBTQ community gets anything out of him twerking in a prison and, and, and a bunch of black men showing their ass. That's not where they're at now. They're playing an entirely different power game. If you notice, uh, there are some gay pride parades and a bunch of stuff where you see some flamboyancy, but a lot of their stuff is more political now. A lot of stuff is more focused. They've moved out of the arena of shock and awe, and now they're in the arena of playing the game. And they are—they will tell you that uh, while they express and fight for their freedom of sexuality and sexual choice and all this other stuff, that that particular alphabet uh, soup of collective identities uh, fights for the, you know, their sexuality is really their, their business. And what they do is really their business. You see some flamboyancy here and there, but that's not them. So while this guy is claiming to be gay, his, his, he's not representing the LGBT community. And you're going to see them point that out. They've done it once before, they, at least once before you're going to see them point that out. So it's, if it's not the LGBT community, that he's representing. Who is he representing? He's representing big money, big big record mobiles. I mean, uh, re record labels that are pushing an agenda, and the agenda is real simple. Beyond the twerking, beyond all that, what's really going on? The feminization of the black male image, the emasculation of the black male presence, uh, the presentation of black men powerless, uh, the glorification of incarceration. Uh, the celebration of anything dysfunctional within black society, the monetization of di black dysfunctionality. And the thing is, we are still emoting. Why? We're emoting primarily because we feel like we've been bamboozled by Nas X. And really, we were bamboozled by the handlers and the people who are behind promoting uh, him and what he's doing in his mind. He may be very well be fighting for some type of identity thing that's going on internally with him. And he's trying to express himself, but he's being used. He's a he's a pawn in a much bigger game. And hopefully at some point he'll get it. But it doesn't necessarily mean so, because when you're pouring that kind of money at people, they tend to take the money. Uh, every now and then somebody will wake up and say, you know what? There's an amount of money. Uh, that there is an amount of money that will make me do this to my people. But what you've got to understand is there's another thing. And I pointed this out to you about eight, eight years ago. I told you one of the problems we have when it comes to people like Nas X and so many others within the record or music industry being able to peddle BS to our babies is that we have nothing to offer them in, all, in, in, in an alternative. You take a kid coming out of the hood where mom is badly making in meat, mom and dad, even in the best situation, mom and dad 
are having a tough time making ends meet. They don't have, they've never seen any type of significant money. They have some pretty good uh, skills. So they, they're sitting up and they're hoping to make it in the record industry. Somebody discovers them and says they're great, but then they take them to uh, uh, a major record label. Uh, you know, A&R gets involved. Uh, talent development gets, everybody gets involved and the big execs come in and they see how they're going to use this person. And they say, okay, we're going to maintain creative control of your music. In other words, we determine what what you, what you part of your music actually makes it onto your album. You can bring a bunch of stuff to us, but we're going to handpick it. And then we're going to bring some people in to ghostwrite for you. And we're going to want the stuff that, that you produce on that definitely on the album. That way we're controlling content. So then what happens is this person says, well, no, 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 I want, I want to be able to do my thing. And they say, well, no, we're going to give you a $500,000 signing bonus. That's me. $500,000 cash in your pocket right now. $1 million signing bonus. $1 million. In your, something that your whole family hasn't seen in an entire lifetime. They're about to put it in your hand. And they're saying, hey, all we want you to do is compromise your standards, compromise what you believe in. Sit up and start talking about this stuff. You know it exists in your hood. And you know, it's look, at, look at what so-and-so-and-so did. Look with this. Look, I'm telling you conversations that have been brought to me, conversations that I've heard that'll make you sit up and throw up about how our 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 our, our uh, cats are being used. And then now you got it to now you don't even have to be really truly talented. They'll bring in and they've dumbed down the music so much that anybody can do it. I, I read a uh I read a uh a post where somebody had a picture of Rakim and I believe it was Big Daddy Kane and in the post, it just said, when I was growing up, I listened to these two cats. And then I sort of thought, man, I'll never be able to do it like that. These guys are off the chain. He says, nowadays, our kids turn on and listen to the rapper that's hot now. And they go, you know what? I can do that. And you know what? They can. Why? Because it doesn't require talent. It doesn't require ability to understand how to put bars together, flows together, lyrics together, how to sit up and actually make your lyrics complicated, how to use wordplay, how to use metaphors, how to use all these things that is a representation of the music element and component of hip hop. First of all, we got to understand we've let them down, uh, dummy down hip hop so much that hip hop is only viewed through the lens of rap music. Rap music is only a portion of hip hop. Hip hop is an entire culture. It's an expressive form of culture that came out of the destruction and decimation of the black nationalist movement and the black panther movement and this was our next answer it was a new language they didn't understand it was a new way of communicating and dressing that they didn't understand it was a way of bringing about knowledge and, and, and pride to something that was solely ours. We allowed them to infiltrate it. We allowed them to put their money into it. We bought into the commercialization of it and then they took it from us and now they are using it against us. Lori Lovely, you got a good point. The strategy, why, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm actually gonna uh, table that. Why didn't he start off with these videos before doing Sesame Street? Because that didn't fit into uh, uh, the strategy. The whole point was to get a following behind him. He was he was a young cat with a baby face. Why not get the kids behind him? And shortly after that, they put it out. Uh, you know that that original record, uh, Old Town Road, I think is the name of it. It it goes off. It goes nine times platinum. It's 
close to diamond if it's not diamond yet. I know it's at least gone nine times platinum, may have hit diamond status, which is 10 times platinum, 10 million sold. And so now you got a bunch of kids and, you know, the video is with kids in the audience. So, I mean, he's they're playing to the artists. But what you got to understand is he had very little uh, uh, influence on the promotion. He had very little influences. Yeah, he was on Sesame Street uh, before all this popped off. He I mean, they played to the, the, the youth audience, the kid audience big time. They made him blow up because kids now have access to music without parents. See, that's the thing I'm talking about, the, about the devices, why we got to be very careful. You, you kids don't have to go out and buy CDs anymore or before CDs, uh, uh, tapes, before tapes, LP albums. See, uh, you need parents to go do that for these little kids. Now little kids just get on a device that you gave them and download it. They're listening to it whether you know it or not. They hook the children to build the exposure. See, once you get exposure, now you're a platinum artist. Your name is out there. So now you got leverage and you got popularity. And now you sit up and you're pushing it on an entirely different audience while pulling the other audience with you. And, and everybody's probably more upset because of the fact that they played the, they played the kid card. And while that should be definitely something we're looking at, we also have to look at the fact that it's beyond that. Yeah, they played the kid card. But what happens again, like so many other artists, artists, you got to think they are got they've got rap artists pushing killing other black men, rap artists pushing and glorifying and romanticizing going to jail, black artists pushing misogyny and disrespect of black women. We got black artists pushing, uh, getting high on everything per, what is it? Uh, Molly and Percocet and, and everything else you can possibly name. You got uh, rappers glorifying the dope game and that goes way back, uh, but it's at a level now that you can't imagine. And all of it, no matter how far it goes back, was never a part of the original plan of hip hop. If you go back, you're talking about the X-Clan, you're talking about LL Cool J, Run DMC, that moved off into the commercial area and opened things up for groups like Houdini and and, and, and Fat Boys, Heavy D, uh, all these, uh, the X-Clan, Public Enemy, uh, Boogie Down Productions, all of these groups came out and they had messages. Now, they may have did some flossing and, and talking about what kind of whip they got, but most of the stuff was messages. Listen, listen to them. It evolved. And then they used, uh, primarily used uh, NWA to bring in a more aggressive type of hip hop. And they did it again very, very cautiously and very strategically. They brought him in. And the theme that everybody recognized NWA off of first was what? F the police. Who wasn't feeling that? Who wasn't feeling that at the time where everything that was going on, how police were policing our communities while protecting theirs. And we knew it. We weren't stupid. We could see it. And here they were coming. And then they were just so boisterous. They were so out of there. But then look, it got more and more degraded. It got more and more disrespectful. And then it ushered in a whole era in the 90s where it was about that type of aggressive behavior. And we lost the message. Those who had the message were pushed to the backgrounds. They couldn't get record deals. Those who had the message were pushed to the background and they were hushed. Uh, and what was promoted was more and more dysfunctionality. They found a way to monetize dysfunctionality while at the same time presenting a mental image and dumbing down the black male. 
Yes, there are some exceptional sisters that were in the game, and they played a role. And we see them dumbed down as well. We've come a long way from Lady of Rage and 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 and, and uh, Queen Latifah and MC Light to uh, Cardi B and, and, and on. And I'm not talking about the sexualization of the image because you can go all the way back to Lil' Kim and Foxy Brown and say they were sexualizing at that time. They were wearing scanty clothes at that time, 20-something years before we ever knew who Cardi B was. That was a part of the game. But at least what they were bringing to the game was a certain level of skill. They could get on the mic, and without you seeing them, they could still make you buy their records. Okay, so, and again, I'm not co-signing any of it because all of it has played a role to get us where we are it was all a part of a strategic plan to bring us down sister soldier absolutely one of the most educated and bright minds when it comes to the black struggle that anybody's ever but what happens where are those voices now where are they at there's no place for them because they've literally been cycled out of the process uh strategically and they're not being backed by money you got to go underground to hear these rappers now. You've got to go underground. And that's a part of the problem is access to mu music that actually empowers, access to music that actually inspires, access to music that actually encourages and, 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 and gives us a sense of pride about who we are. But this is definitely so much beyond this one kid. You're talking about the feminization of black. I wrote some of it down. Feminization of black men, over-sexualization uh, uh, of our youth, the monetization of black dysfunction. Uh, you got to understand, look at what's produced and what's promoted. This is so much beyond some type of it's an LGBTQ thing. No, this is a direct assault on the black mind. And, and, and as I explained in the beginning, because we don't know how things work, we tend to see things solely on the surface. I wrote uh, years ago about the force of propaganda, uh, whether it was in television media, whether and this is before the rise of social media, whether it was television media, whether it was radio, whether it was written media in magazines. You had all the, you know, the double XLs and, and all that other stuff coming out. It was just pushing the sexualization of our women. It was pushing the criminalization of our men. It was it was it was creating a bridge, a, a, a gap. Uh, removing the bridge and creating a gap between our men and our women to the point right now, we're so at odds with one another. There's no way for unity because we're divided. And all of the solutions are, quote unquote, that we come up with are independent of a collective thought. In other words, men are looking out for men, women are looking out for women, and there's no uh, consideration of what needs to be done for the totality of who we are. And until we reach a collectivism that speaks to the totality of who we are and, and, and where we come from and what we're capable of collectively, we can never truly reach the true synergy of who we are as a people. Why? Because that synergy requires feminine energy and masculine energy merged together to create a synergy, which is the merging of different types of energy to achieve a level of functionality and power that's impossible on an individual or individualized level. They have us so off and chasing everything that does us no good. They present to us the idea of who we are. 
to the point and so prevalently that we don't even question it. We have to, number one, counter the narrative by presenting new narratives. That's why we need new black media, not just in news, not just media where we're discussing the black issues. We need new black entertainment because uh, that's just a part of who we need to laugh sometimes. But we need to laugh at things that don't degrade us. We need to laugh at things that don't, don't things that don't disrespect any part or one part of the group at the uh, for the for, for the celebration and purpose of another. We need to understand that we need to have entertainment that does not put us in a situation where we are less than who we really are. That that type of celebration is out there. That type of celebration is out there. We have to be able to understand we can have everything we want without harming the narrative of black progress. But we have to be careful about who we allow. And again, I go back to what I said years ago. You can't expect a kid to come from a place that can do nothing for them but give them hardship and show them struggle. Have have someone put $500,000 in their pocket and say, this is what I want you to do. And them to have the character and integrity instilled in them that makes them resist it unless we have a collective community that's instilling it in our children at an early age and providing them with options that push them towards uh, positions, places, and opportunities of power so that they can live out their life uh, vision, their life dream without having someone who doesn't have their interest in, at, at heart financing it. If I don't have your interest at heart, I'll finance your dream in order to fulfill mine. And if fulfilling mine just happens to mean that I'm going to need you to put poison in the minds of your people, I'll pay you enough to do it. You've got to have enough going on in your community to resist it. Right now, we don't. So we have to develop strategies. We've got to develop protocols. We've got to literally sit down and look at the way the game is being played and understand how we're going to have to move within the confines of this construct in order to produce positive results for ourselves. We can never depend on the enemy to provide the solution to the problem they created. It is definitely possible. I got to put this one up. It is definitely possible to literally produce entertainment that doesn't come at the expense of anyone within our collective. We don't have to talk about dark-skinned women. We don't have to talk about light-skinned men. We don't have to talk about women at, so that men can laugh. We don't have to talk about women so, I mean, so men so women can laugh. What we can do is we can sit up and have a place where we're loving on each other and we can, in a fun way, have fun and talk about a bunch of stuff for, as far as comedy is concerned. And what we've got to do now is put a demand on the music industry that we want what we used to have, what we had in the 60s, the 70s and the 80s and a part of the 90s. And now what we experience in very little small portions from artists like Joe and her and, 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 and a few others that have the creativity and the access or the power to do some things uh, that are inspiring and have talent. 
what they're putting up as talent now is absolutely ridiculous. You know, uh, we have a lot to deal with internally. And I think that is a part of our problem is that we still have the enemy within. You know, I'm real big on that 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 African proverb. If there's no enemy on the inside, the enemy on the outside can do us no harm. Why do they have constant access to us? Why can why do their machinations have such efficacy and effectiveness in destroying our efforts and frustrating our efforts of empowerment? Because we're not dealing with the internal issues. We're not dealing with why we're so at odds with each other. We're not dealing with our trust issues. We're not dealing with the fact that we still are expecting our enemy to educate our children. We're not dealing with the fact that we have poor spending habits as a collective. We're not dealing with the fact that we have very little perspicacity, if any at all, on a collective level as it pertains to uh, education, as it pertains to finance, as it pertains to politics, as it pertains to geopolitics. We have very little understanding as a collective force. We are a people who have been conditioned to respond emotionally to almost everything that happens to us without any intent on ever coming together and doing anything. We'll talk about it. We'll fuss about it. We'll listen to some intellectuals go on about what should be done, but do anything any of any exceptional or intrinsic value. We just want to emote. We just want people to know we're upset, just like the little three-year-old that's throwing the tantrum. No leverage whatsoever for the three-year-old. That's why uh, three-year-olds that have come up under my care don't go through that tantrum stage very long because it gets absolutely nothing from me. You'll lay there and you'll cry until you fall asleep and I'm not doing anything for you because I will not reward behavior that will not serve you well in the You're going to have to learn up. And I tell my grandson now, who is three years old? Use your words. The crying moves me not one bit. I love you to death, but your crying does not move me. Unless I know that you've actually been physically hurt, your crying doesn't move me. What is it that you want? Use your voice. Tell me why you want it. Tell me why you should have it. You're old enough to say it. Because now if you can tell me why you can have it, now you have some leverage whatsoever. You can convince me, hey, this might be okay for you to have. Okay, you, you've done this, so yes, you deserve I've got to have some way of thinking beyond me being upset. Nobody cares that you're mad. Nobody cares. We are going to have to understand that nobody cares we're upset. Nobody cares what we're going through. Nobody cares we're in last place in every socioeconomic category that exists. Nobody cares. So what are we going to do about it? We are going to have to stand up and actually determine within ourselves. We're going to have to stop being separated. We're going to have to stop this competing with one another. We're going to have to stop sitting up trying to tear down one another. We're going to have to understand that while I may not agree with everything you're doing, if you're doing something for the betterment of the people, you're my brother, you're my sister, I've got to sit up and say, hey, go for it. And I can't be the person that's throwing, putting a knife in your back when you're turned around. I have to realize that not everybody's going to think like me. So I need other people in the room who think differently. Why? Because I don't know everything. 
everything. And I've got to stop thinking I know everything. I got to stop demanding that everybody sit up and think like I think, because that's not going to get it. I need to put what I'm thinking out there and I need to be able to back it up with reason, with references, with, 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 with care so that people can receive it and respond to it. But I also have to have my ear open for the people who are working from a different angle and understand it from a different angle and can add to the equation. That's why when I created the blueprint uh, for black empowerment, I put 1.0 behind the blueprint. Why? It's just what I've been able to put together over my 30 years. And it's a bunch of other people that I want to come and weigh in on it. I've got Dr. Anderson in on it. I've got a couple of other people that have weighed in on it directly and directly. Tyreek Nasheed, uh, we did some emails back and forth. Umar Johnson did some emails back and forth. I've had a couple of conversations directly, even in person with Dr. Boyce Watkins. I uh, had an interview uh, with him on his channel. Uh, you know, again, it's not about everybody lining up and being on this, uh, being about the same thing. Everybody has their level of expertise in the thing that they are, are exceptionally good at. Let them flow in that. Stop demanding everybody riding your lane. Number one is going to get crowded in your lane and you're not going to be able to flow. Stop jumping in everybody else's lane because you don't belong there. and You're going to be not going to be comfortable. And you're going to impede progress. Find where you fit. Be be the best you can be at it. And everybody has something that can be done. Lori Lovely, you got a very good point. Got to share that. Put that up there. Look, this is the biggest issue we have. This is why they don't even they 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 play pander. Now they don't even go in depth in pandering. They simple play pander now. Why? Because they take us for granted. She says the powers that be knows we will never be on Warner Card long enough to get anything we need. And they count on that. They count on and they study feed the monster of ignorance through BS like the music we're talking about here with this kid. He's just one. And because he is from a certain place, he can trigger more people than usual. But we are being played from outside. There's very little from the music industry. There's very little from the film industry. There's very little from anything you want to call entertainment that's positive, that we can focus on, that we can feel comfortable with our children consuming, that will actually give them an impetus to drive for something more. That's why it's our responsibility first. That's why it's our responsibility first. We are responsible. Look, I'm not going to stay on too long, but I just had to get the test. That's so much more of what's going on uh, in this. And something I want you to pay attention to. There used to be a time that that was a level, level of subtlety. Most of the messaging was subliminal. It's gotten to the point that it's becoming increasingly overt and direct. What would be considered absolutely unacceptable, unacceptable and offensive 20, 30 years ago is mainstream now. And since they've made what was unacceptable mainstream now, they can push to the fringes of just plain darkness without stirring so much, you know, like I said, we're going to emote, we're going to frustrate, but we're not going to hit them in their pockets. We're not going to cause their record sales to plummet. We're not going to boycott their movies. We're not going to create, here's the, here's the thing. And then I'll be done. 
it's not just in boycotting. It's not just in pulling your money out. That's only part of the empowerment equation. That's only part of the leverage equation. What they need to actually believe about us is that we're not only going to pull our money out, we're going to focus the money we pull out to invest in competitive alternatives. I don't like your record label, so I'm going to stop buying your records and I'm going to get with a bunch of other people who are thinking like me and we're going to invest in a new record label. We're going to invest in something where we're going to give our people an opportunity to actually do what they like at a high level and have the creative control and ownership of their masters. And we're going to get behind them and everybody's going to eat. We're going to take our money from behind you and put it behind ourselves. That's when you start to talk real power, not just saying I ain't going to buy your stuff. Now, I'm not only not going to buy your stuff, I'm going to start creating my own stuff. I'm going to start creating stuff that I have the control over what my children will watch, what my children will listen to, what my children will consume. We're going to get to a point where we are not only doing that when it comes to music and television and entertainment, but we're doing it from an academic and educational perspective. We are going to be the ones that provide the institutions through which our children will be educated. That's what's going on. We have too much of a dependency on what they are creating and presenting to us and forcing us to consume. We don't have to consume it. We don't have to take it. We don't have to accept it. We can sit up and pull our dollars and reinvest in something that looks like what we want it to look like, that feels and tastes like what we want it to taste like, that has the kind of trajectory towards what we want to see. It's going to be up to us to create this. Lori Lovely, that's my hope too, but I tell you something that I said a long time ago. I've written it, I've spoke on it in lectures, and I truly believe this to be the case, that until we get black men especially, but black women as well, who are committed enough to sow seeds that they will not live long enough to see come to fruition our people will remain in a cycle of suffering. What do I mean by that? We didn't get here overnight. There's no quick fix. There's no one year, five year fix for what we are dealing with. And we haven't even really truly started the process of working on it. So we may be 40 years down the line. And the problem with us is that we want the pat on the back. Black men have been robbed of power so much that anytime we get an opportunity to experience just a little power where we can say, I wrote that, I designed that, I created that, I fixed that, we go for it. So we go for the Band-Aid over the bullet wound. I stopped the bleeding temporarily. But how much damage is on the inside? But that's what we're going for. We're going for the quick fix. We're going for the pat on the back. We're going for the accolades. That's why likes and shares don't mean anything to me, because that's not why I'm here. I'm here to plant a seed that a lot of people might not even take serious until I'm dead. One of the things and Dr. Blanchard is going to be on a little later this week to talk about some research we just completed and wrote a, a, a position paper on. And that's security uh, and, and education uh, security in our academic institutions at the high school level, in the middle school level, and what's going on with that. But, but uh, something that he told me a long time ago, he said, Doc, and this is Dr. Blanchard. Uh, he said, Doc, uh, 
unfortunately, I don't think people are going to realize who you are and what you brought to the table until you're gone. And my response to him was, I'm good with that. I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need anybody to stroke my ego. I know who I am. I don't need any, any of that. So in essence, that's the kind of men and women we're going to need. Those who are willing to plant the seeds in a generation that has not been negatively impacted yet. That's why the black man lead right of passage uh, program is so huge because we start to socialize these young boys at four years old. That's why restoring ghettos forgotten daughters is so important because Marion is working with these babies at a time that they're still impressionable and on up through the troubling years of the teens and even some young adult women she's worked with. That's why those programs are so important. Why? Because we are preparing a generation to do better than we did in every area, in every aspect. But then we got to prepare them and then we've got to insulate them and protect them. Why? Because there's nothing but information and content and bombardment of darkness that's trying to raid their minds and shift their direction so that another generation falls by the wayside. That's where it comes at. Uh, Marion, that's uh, Marion C. I hope that that is that gives you hope is that uh, some of us may not. And we have to be OK with that, especially our men. We've got to be OK with building some men who can come along uh, in the next generation and do some unbelievable things that are unapologetically black, that are not a part of fear and concern about what is going on. And so what we've got to do is we've got to empower our black men. We've got to give them something to understand that you don't have to fight for power. You are power. Let me show you how to ex execute your power. That's what it's about. It's about ex teaching them how to execute their power, how to live in their power, how to be who they were designed to be. And on that note, I'm going to get ready to get out of here. I really and truly thank all of you for stopping in. Um, like I said, show some love. Um, and support for what we're doing at the Odyssey Project. You can get it in the chat. Uh, if you happen to be along in the chat when it's posted, or you can go to the description box and it'll be there in every video on the channel. On that note, I'm out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day and we'll talk soon.